0: What we're trying to do is just kind of gear towards the real world, everyday, fire alarms, gas, you know, smells and bells where you need to get in, but the urgency isn't as such that you're going to conventionally force the door in whatever manner you see fit. Enchanted Sky Media. Media.
1: At Sky Studios in Prescott, Arizona, this is Code Three, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code Three features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategies, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code Three. You are listening to the show for and about firefighters. Let's get started. I'll bet you use salvage covers when you can. Why not? If you're going to protect property, you can do a better job of it with covers than without. But there's another step you can take to save property, and you may not even be thinking much about it. When the front door is locked when you arrive and you need to get in, what do you do? Force it. After all, it's more important to get inside and put out that room in contents fire before it gets any bigger, even if it makes the door frame splinter into little slivers. What if Grandma's having an acute MI and she's locked in the house? Same answer. Same reason, right? But now when you leave, Grandma's got to deal with a front door that won't close or lock. There is a solution, of course. It's a way to defeat a lock without destroying it or the door or the door frame. Here to explain how through the lock entry is done is John Buttrick. He's the owner and lead instructor at Coastal Fire Training in Suffolk, Virginia, which provides tools and training for through the lock entry. He's also a firefighter in Suffolk with 10 years of experience. And John Buttrick joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Thank you, sir. So this isn't really a new concept. FDNY's been using through-the-lock techniques for some time. Give me a little background on what's been done before.
0: So through-the-lock, definitely not a new concept. Um, If you look back, uh, San Diego, Sacramento, uh, FDNY, enforceable entry manuals speak to through-the-lock entry. Uh, Every major textbook speaks to through the lock entry. So you don't have to be part of, you know, a large metro department that has its own forcible entry manual to have these things included in your rookie score, your academy. They're actually included in everybody's because everyone at least touches on through the lock. It's part of NFPA. It's part of the 1001 standard. So everything, uh, the tools and the methods are actually to the degree that we teach them. Uh, available and disseminated in Firefighter One, Firefighter Two courses, whether that be your department's academy or a local community college or wherever you gain your initial training. So through the lock, entry is introduced at that level and then it kind of just falls off, right? So uh, truck company firefighters and those that are interested in this have kind of brought it back recently. And, uh, you know, myself, I've been fortunate enough to have pretty cool mentors along the way that have uh, introduced me to a lot of stuff. And just through, you know, collaboration and cooperation, we're kind of getting this thing to the mainstream.
1: So why does it fall by the wayside? Why doesn't everyone do it?
0: Well, so I don't think it's not as sexy, right? Forceful entry right now is a very popular concept. You're seeing a lot of classes. You're seeing a lot of conventional, inward-outward, forceful entry classes. And I think you're seeing those because of the availability And the proliferation of the forceful entry door. A lot of manufacturers are making, you know, doors now. So you got Philip Britton out of York County, Virginia, makes probably the best door on the market, the PEB door, PEB Enterprises. And then it just goes from there, right? East Coast Rescue Solutions has one. You got, you know, a lot of people making door kits and things of that nature. So those classes are heavily being pushed and taught and it's fun right you get to break stuff you get to do all kinds of uh, destructive entry whereas what we're trying to do is just kind of gear towards the real world everyday fire alarms gas you know smells and bells where you need to get in but the urgency isn't as such that you're going to gap cut a mortise you know a mortise deadbolt a dead latch or you're going to conventionally force the door in whatever manner you see fit. So, you know, kind of more of a technical entry, a little bit of thought put into it, a little bit of training, put into it, some size up for that door that you have, you know, for that specific call and the reasons why you're there. And it's no, it's no different than VES and VEIS. As long as you, you know, softly immerse your yourself in this, in this subject area, you gain a lot of knowledge, it's it it becomes fun. And it's just it's just more of a technical entry, and I think that's why you're seeing a lot of interest now, but in the past you haven't.
1: Now I imagine that trying to do this takes a little time, and some people are probably gonna argue that we don't have that time. How long does it take to make a respectful entry?
0: That's the um the very common argument. So What I'll say is, if you know how, you'll know when. And of course, you know, some of our methods may take slightly longer, I guess, right? But what are you even comparing that to? I've seen people that claim to be experienced firefighters, people that ride truck companies take forever to conventionally force the door. I've seen two people that have never worked together be assigned to a truck company for the day. And then be presented with a door, and simply because they never worked together, the operation goes south. So people say it can it can take longer, but in my experience, that I've seen people attempt to conventionally force doors that have no understanding of how that door is even secured. So they're either attacking the wrong mechanism, attacking the wrong area of the door, and it's just a it's a prolonged operation in and of itself. So commercial occupancies, soft residentials. I mean, these tactics are equal or better than conventional. And I would also argue that you cannot be good at conventional forcible entry unless you're good at through the lock. And, you know, respectful entry, that's bypasses, that's Lloyds, that's non-destructive, completely getting in no damage, right? And then just slightly up from that, there's the through the lock aspect where, you know, because what I advocate is, no damage whatsoever, right? So bypasses, Lloyd um, devices that we have that that no damage whatsoever. And then just up from there, lock damage only. So you isolate your damage to the lock itself, and that's a homeowner fix. Then lock and door, and then lock door and frame, which is where all of this meets conventional forceful entry. It's a progression. Um, you know, we don't have time. Oh, God, you know, i not... So fear mongering's never really uh, been an interest of mine. I would say that if you know how, and you, you're able to properly size that door up, then you'll know when. So you'll know if if it's a framing square, or a shove knife, or if you're going to punch the door with the halligan, with the pike of the halligan, and drop a J to in for the panic bar that way. So I think if if you're if you're trained in these techniques, much like everything else in the fire service. If you know how to use them, you'll know when to employ them.
1: Now, you've made mention of commercial buildings, and I'm curious, don't Knox boxes make this unnecessary for most commercial buildings?
0: Negative. So just this morning, um, companies at the station that I was assigned to prior to my transfer to a uh, a downtown truck, they had a smell of gas uh, coming from an occupied business. They arrived to open their business. They smelled gas. Occupancy next door is not open yet. They don't open until noon. Smell the gas coming, you know, somewhere in a, in a multi-suite um, strip mall. And they access an the ox box for the keys to this business. And the keys were wrong. They didn't have the keys. So then they call a the maintenance guy for the said facility. Maintenance guy arrives and tells him that he doesn't have keys for that building. So a couple things going on probably. Uh, there may be a reason there, there aren't keys in the ox box. On the flip side of that, where we see, you know, Knox boxes present, but not properly, the keys aren't proper in the Knox box is a multi suite office building where you have transient occupancy. The lease lasts maybe nine months, a year. They leave, new one comes in, fire marshal's office isn't notified, companies aren't notified to go out and unlock the Knox box, allow the new tenant to place their key in there, et cetera, et cetera. There's a million scenarios where. Either they don't have a Knox box, their Knox box is empty, got a whole file folder of this, or the Knox box keys are just, you know, they're just incorrect. So the Knox box, you know, we're not advocating against it. We're not saying don't use it. We're not saying don't try it. But what is your plan if, if the Knox box key is wrong or is missing or the entire box is empty? You know, so if your plan as a fire department is to sit outside and not do your job, then I think you have a serious training issue, you have a serious morale and and ethical issue as far as doing your job and fulfilling your job. So sticking a gas sniffer through the bottom of a door and the weather stripping is merely not clearing that adjacent occupancy to the complainant occupancy for a smell of gas. It's just simply not gas explosions level buildings and kill people every day so we have to investigate those right same with fire alarms fire alarm in the same scenario if you're not making entrance into the occupancy whether it's the one that called you or not if you can't make business owner contact maintenance owner contact the Knox box is empty it is your job to enter that space that is what we're paid to do is protect lives and property so using a non-destructive or least destructive method, we're, we're going to get in, right? So it goes back to your question about time. time. Time is irrelevant. So we make the entry, right calls, you know, the right times, using the right tools with the right training.
1: Well, I know there have been many instances I've seen where the crews have arrived on scene. They can make entry with a key for whatever reason, and given the number of false alarms that have come along, they're hesitant to force entry through the door in a way that's going to cause damage, so they kind of stand there and wait for someone with a key to show up. Problem is that if it's not a false alarm, then you're you're getting into trouble by waiting that long.
0: Yeah. So I would advocate that until proven otherwise, there is something going on, right? So, your question comes from a a position or a stance of alarm complacency, right? So whether you've been there five times, 10 times, 25 times, or this is your first time going to that building, if the alarm system that that business owner pays for, they paid somebody to install it, hang the box on their wall, wire it all up and monitor it. So your job is to respond to the messages and the inputs right? that that thing thing receives transmits as an alarm so that we arrive so i would argue that it is our job to investigate whatever message comes from that alarm panel so there is an issue until you yourself are occupying the space in which that alarm says there's a problem and you verify there isn't a problem because there is a problem until proven otherwise so you have to get in occupy that space much like a search and prove that there's no one in there and when you can say that then you've done your job you can get back on the truck you can go back to your bed and you can cuddle up knowing that you did your job and that there is no outstanding variable from from not investigating that alarm so whatever that looks like for your department knox box respectful entry through the lock conventional whatever you need to do but at the end of the day at at the lowest level you got to get in. So you can get in like a buffoon. You can get in, you know, half ass. Maybe it works a bunch of times. Maybe it only works once. Maybe it doesn't work and you piss the business owner off. But making entry into that building, that that's our job.
1: So now you run a company that offers tools that make through the lock entry easier. How did that happen? How did it come about that you started that?
0: The lieutenant I was working for at the time is the captain now. We go out to vacant buildings, and before they go to the ground, we kind of just conserve anything that's in the, in the building, right? So anything that is worth using for training, we kind of just bring back to the firehouse and toy with. We had a series of houses that only had uh, viable doors and locks. Had some old stuff, um, some uh, antiquated night latches and things like that zipped all those off, brought them back to the fire station and man, just, <laughs> just started playing with them on the table and talking about them more and more and more. And, and that kind of bloomed into making our own tools and looking at what other guys were doing. I think I said earlier, the mentorship in all of this, Brian Matson, Earl Copes, Sean Wilson from rise above. There's been 20, 30 other people that I've, you know, spoke with on the phone text every day, text every other day. I mean, we're constantly talking about this stuff with each other, and it's just been through kind of that, uh, like I said earlier, cooperation and collaboration. Just, just talking to the guys and getting, you know, more interested in it. Just going down the rabbit hole with them. I just went to basic locksmith training, so now I'm a, a state certified locksmith. Um, you know, I'm not looking to work for Papa Lock, but I'm just looking to understand my craft a little bit better. Not here talking about this stuff. Went and took the class just to see. You know, see it from the other side and see kinda of how the other side lives, you know. And it was it was incredibly valuable uh to the message that we have. And, you know, that that's kinda of it. You know, a lot of the you know, all the guys that were interested in it from the beginning we're still uh we were all three together at one station. Now we're all three uh we're all three split up. So, you know, on our shift at our station we talk about this stuff and it helps us just kinda spread the message you know at this stage in the game if you want to learn uh i'll teach you everything you want to know you you think it's stupid well that's fine (laughs) that no longer hurts my feelings it just kind of makes me chuckle and and that's where we're at with the thing because there's so much interest in it um that I've, i've really found value in this project
1: before you developed your specific interest in it were you working with through the lock entry or were you and, and the other guys more involved in just forcing the door and leaving whatever you found?
0: Yeah. So, yeah, obviously this wasn't born out of just, so I, I've always liked forcible entry, right? Always had, a, that's always been my niche. I'm in a larger bin, if you will, just the forcible entry. So conventional irons, hook, whatever you want to use, wedge. So everything, encapsulating conventional forcible entry was already an interest of mine. So, you know, then came this, right? And that's how we got way down the rabbit hole with this. But no, it's definitely born out of a, you know, a deep-rooted interest in conventional forcible entry. It goes back to kind of what I said before. If you understand how these doors are locked, how they're secured, the hardware that puts them together, all you have to defeat to retract that latch or retract that bolt when you get into conventional or you escalate from through the lock to conventional, whatever your progression is, if you find yourself, you know, going respectful, then maybe some through the lock, trying to pull the cylinder and then conditions change, whatever you escalate to conventional, right? Some magic scenario where you get to do all three. Then that progression is just kind of what is that thought process, right? Have a system put in the sets and reps, and as you escalate the damage or, or modify your attack, you just you further understand every component related to that door, that frame, the locks. And you're able to just, even if you go conventional, you're able to understand it so much better. And it, it makes for a more effective conventional entry.
1: And we'll leave it there. John Butrick. thanks for being with me on Code 3 today.
0: Scott, thank you again, sir. I really appreciate the opportunity.
1: And we put some more information about Respectful Entry, Coastal Fire Training, plus the tools that help you do the job and how to get hold of them on our website at Code3Podcast.com slash Respectful. Check it out. Don't forget, you can support this podcast by making a monthly pledge. If you get something out of Code 3, please help keep it going. A buck a month, five, ten, or more, it all counts. Head over to Code3Podcast.com support to join the people who've got this show's back. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. This time we talked respectful entry. How important is it to you? Are you concerned at all about it? What techniques do you use already to prevent damage to doors when you need fast access? I'd like to hear from you on this. Just email me, scott at code3podcast.com, or leave a voicemail at 562-337-9902. I'll read your comments and playback messages on a future show. Thank you for listening today. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's topic, or subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.